Good morning. Good morning. If you are a person who um, tends to go right to the sermon and skip worship, um, you should go back. It was very good today. Um, my name is Jenny Seibel. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Indicator, and it's so good to be in church with you this morning. We're going to start today in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, starting in verse 10. Um, but it's helpful to say that there is a section that comes before this that the lectionary leaves out that um, is actually very uh, important to the section that we're going to read. So right before what we're going to read, what happens is Jesus is with his disciples walking around town as they do, and, um, and some Pharisees and scribes see them start to eat without washing their hands, and so they accuse them of defiling um, by not washing their hands. So that's kind of where we are in the text. So let's read in verse 10. Then Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? And Jesus answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. Then Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth and enters the stomach and goes out and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in this room. Thank you for the gift of what it means to be the church, that whether it's in this moment in time or any moment in time in history, Lord, what your spirit does is unites Christians. It connects all of us. In the great cloud of witnesses, this is not a hard thing for you to do. We thank you for your presence in this room and with the people who are with us in spirit, Lord. And as I always do when I read a text from the gospels like this, I just thank you, Jesus, for the life that you lived. I thank you for the way that you are always bringing us back to the heart of what it is that God said in the first place, the things that we've distorted, that we've tried to take control of, Lord. You want to bring us back to the heart of God. And so we thank you for that. And I come to you with the spirit of Peter, and I say, explain this thing to us, Lord. We ask you to um, explain these things to us. Continue to reveal things, Lord. Um, ask you, Holy Spirit, to unveil what it is in this text to us, knowing that you will, Lord, by the power of your spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to hand this off to you. I don't want to. I need some space up here. Uh, so we're in a series we're calling Citizens right now. Um, so hopefully you've been tuning in with us for the last couple of weeks. The first week, what we talked about was how citizens in the kingdom of God live in the abundance of the kingdom of God. So rather than living out of a scarcity mindset, rather we live with an abundance mindset. And what this allows for us to do is then the second thing that we talked about, to risk, 
to be like children with the eyes of their parents on them um, and be able to risk knowing that we're held fully in the hands of God. Um, So this week, what we're going to talk about in terms of being citizens in the kingdom of God is that citizens are holy. Um, So don't don't run away just yet. It's going to be good, I promise. Um, We think it's helpful in this cultural moment that we're in to define what it is to be citizens in the kingdom of God, because if this is what we're being called to in a moment like this where everything is polarized, how do we have a common language? How do we hold on to something that's similar in a, in a world where everything seems to divide us? So that's what we've been doing. We're attempting to say, like, this is what it means to be Christian in this moment and always. So we're going to continue to do that. So before we jump in today's text, I think it is important and helpful to define what holiness is. So if we're going to talk about things being defiled, we need to actually know what it is that it's defiling. It's defiling a holy thing. So what is holy? In the Old Testament, you've likely heard, if you've spent any time there, Israel called a holy nation. And what this idea is, is that Israel is set apart, is different than the rest of the world. They're kind of separate. Um, And not just to have lots of really weird and strange and very meticulous rules, that's not the point. The point is so that they can be separate, so that they can bless the world. That's the whole point of it. This is what God does. He separates things in order that they can flourish. So if you read in Genesis 1, this is what God does with the very beginning of the world, that there is chaos. And what God does is he takes the chaos and begins to separate out these things so that they can live in and of themselves, begin to flourish, and then bless each other, bless the other parts that he's separated. So holiness is bringing order out of chaos through a kind of separateness. Holiness is separation and order so that there can be flourishing. So when we talk about holiness, this is what we're saying. Um, If you've ever had a problem with something like eating or drinking or known someone with a problem um, with eating or drinking, you know that this is not just a problem that causes chaos within the person themselves. This is something that as much as that person may try to do, affects everyone around them because this is what happens with chaos. It just leaks out. And it's the same thing with order, is that you can begin to order yourself internally, and then there just becomes to be order around you. That's how the flourishing happens. It's the same thing with sex. This is the reason that the the church and the community of God has always had reasons and regulations around why we should treat sex the way that we do, with care and sacredness. Because sex is a fire, and a fire needs a fireplace in order to be good, to be the thing that it's meant to be. So God wanted Israel to be different, to be ordered, to be holy, so that Israel could bless the world. So for Jesus, this is what holiness is. This is what he knew holiness to be. Right living in order to be a blessing, to bring order out of chaos, to bring the kingdom of God to earth. This is what holiness is. And this is what the Pharisees and the scribes were thinking when they started to confront Jesus' followers. They're the ones who held up the uh, rules and these kinds of rituals that Israel has always had. This was their job. However, what Jesus sees them do, um, and that's the point of this, one of the points of this text, is that they don't care actually about holiness when they say these things about defiling and washing your hands. What they are trying to do is gain power. And so what's happening in the gospels in this time um, is that the Pharisees and the scribes are, are trying to gain power over people. Um, And so that's what they're using these rules about holiness for. And Jesus sees that. 
So there's this idea of separateness, a life of order in a world of chaos. But here's the wonderful thing about Jesus is that while this, was, this separation is what holiness meant for Jesus, there is also an aspect of holiness that Jesus shows us that is totally involved. And there's a theologian who said this, his name is Rowan Williams. The holiness means you are totally involved. So you think about Jesus, Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel, not separate from us, totally with us. Jesus became a human so that he could be totally involved and bring the holiness like to us. Jesus goes into the deepest, darkest places of what it means to be human. Um, He feels forsaken by God on the cross. He knows the depths of what it is to be a human being, to experience pain. He also like spits in the earth and rubs it on people's faces. Like there's no separateness with him when it comes to this kind of thing, being a human being. And so Jesus does what he does all the time, forever and ever, and so beautifully is he says like, it's this thing and it's this thing. So let's figure out how to make it this um, together. Holiness is separation and order in order to bless, but it is also totally involved. Separateness for separateness sake isn't the gospel. A life of order and abundance is what we are called to so that we can then give that abundance away. Jesus is speaking against moralism, but he's also speaking at the same time against liberalism and not political liberalism, but a more unfettered permissiveness. He's saying that's also not holiness. We can't love others well until we tend to our own hearts is what he's saying. If we don't seek holiness and ask God to create in us clean hearts, what's the list he gives in this text? You're about to have a list of sins on this screen. Evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. What do all these have in common? They're sins against your neighbor. It's like Jesus leaves himself completely out of this one. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, holiness is about loving your neighbor. As Christians, the nuance of this text is that we don't just follow the law and we don't just abolish the law. I think what Jesus is alluding to here is the particularness, the same particularness that the Old Testament has when talking about the temple. Those things that you skip over when you're reading the Bible in a year, those chapters, you know, where you're like, this has no relevance for me. Um, That same particularness that's in those moments, I think what Jesus wants us to know is that that is the same care, weight, urgency, that we ought to be tending to our own inner lives, our own hearts. The Apostle Paul says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think if that's true, then our hearts are the mercy seat of God. And we are meant to make that place feel like home for God. And what is that for Jesus? What does it mean to make your heart like home for God? It means you love other people. It means you tend to yourself in order that you can be flourishing and love others. So citizens in the kingdom of God are holy. And by that, I mean, we tend to our hearts. The Bible says in Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. This week, I heard our bishop say uh, the following, which I'm gonna be honest, maybe a Dallas Willard quote, and I didn't pay attention close enough um, because that's mostly what he says. So, um, but here it is. The life we live out in our moments and hours and days and years wells up from the hidden depths. 
What is in your heart matters more than anything else for what you are to become. Everything you do flows from it. It determines everything you do in life and leadership. Dallas Willard, who that may be from, that quote, um, wrote a book called Renovation of the Heart, and that's what this kind of work is about. And I've always, it's a really good book, so if you're interested in this stuff, you should get it. Um, it will maybe mess you up for the rest of your life in the best way. Um, but that metaphor has been really, been really helpful to me, the idea of renovating something, that there's, there's something that needs to be redone. Um, and this has not only been helpful because metaphors are just helpful in that way, but I, um, I had a friend a long time ago, this is probably a decade ago, we had a conversation that changed me for the rest of my life. And if you've heard me talk before, you've probably heard me to say this, but um, so we were at breakfast together and she seemed to not be doing very well. And so I asked her how she was doing. Um, and she kind of teared up and started by saying, you know, the TV show Hoarders? which is a funny way to begin a conversation about yourself. Not a funny show or a funny illness, but a funny way to begin a conversation. So I said, yes, I do know about the show Hoarders. Um, and she said, that's just what it feels like to be me. It feels like my heart is a hoarder house and Jesus just keeps finding new rooms. And this has changed the way I think about my own life with God forever. And not in a way that's daunting, which it can feel that way, um, but rather that like that's just true and Jesus is, is in it. Like he's there to do the work with you. Uh, we just did a series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, if you've been with us for a while. And um, this is eight weeks on this kind of material that we spent time with. And I'm gonna guess that most of us don't feel all whole and healed after eight weeks with Pete, although it was really wonderful. Um, <laughs> My guess is what that more felt like to you and definitely to me was um, more like being given the keys to these rooms or just being told that they're there. Like I've got some rooms and I've, I've got some work to do with Jesus. Um, and that's just to say that this is, this is your life's work. Like this is what you've, you've been given to do with your life is to work with Jesus to find these places in you that he wants to heal and clean out and make better. And thanks be to God because he wants all of your heart. Jesus wants all of your heart and he won't let stupid doors keep him from that. He will always be pushing us to find the deeper, darker places in us that he wants to clean and, and move us out of, ransom us from. And not just for us, like Jesus wants all of my heart not just for me, but also for my family, also for my friends, my community. Because it's not just about me being healed. It's about my flourishing in order to bless others. Jesus wants all of me for all of them. So I think it's helpful to say some examples of what this looks like. Um, things that I've seen in my own life and in others' lives, just to say like, this is, okay, renovation of a heart is a really nice metaphor, but what does it actually mean for human beings like you and me? Um, so here are some examples. It's not enough to realize you've had a hard experience, to just realize it. It's not enough to just get divorced, sign the papers, move on, break up with someone, block their number in your phone. Those things aren't enough. 
We have to actually do the heart work of what it means to be a person who has been a part of a broken thing. To say, to have the willingness and the bravery to stand up and say, I think I might have some work to do after this. There may be something in me that needs some work. That's what Jesus is calling us to. It's not enough to realize we have a complicated, complicated relationship with food or with sex or alcohol or smoking pot or whatever it may be for you. We have to actually do the hoarder house work in ourselves. Find those places. Maybe from EHS or maybe right now or maybe years and years ago, um, you realized that it may be time to go to a 12-step group. That's, that is renovation work. That's Jesus's work that he's calling us to. It may be time for some of us to get accountability partners or counselors or perhaps even engage in rehabilitation programs. This is the work of God. Like this is the work of Jesus. There is no shame in work like this. This is what it looks like to have a renovated heart and life. It's also not enough to realize that you're racist or that America is racist. It's not enough to watch 13th and feel woke and then that's it then you're, on, you're fighting on behalf of justice. We have work that we have to do really, really deep in our hearts. I did a racism seminar when I started seminary years ago, and it was several hours long. I think it was four hours long, and it was wonderful. And all workplaces and schools should do this. Um, but there were three people leading, and they were incredible. And uh, only one of them was, was white. It was a white male who was maybe 205 years old. And um, he, he was incredible. And he, at the end of this whole seminar that they did together, um, he said that he is from the rural South a long time ago. And the things that were ingrained in him, the things that were told to him about people of color, the words he learned to use, um, just the things that he was told. He said, I've spent my life fighting against those things. And I will continue to have to fight against them in my own heart till the day that I die. Meaning, he is a racist who does anti-racism work. And at the time, I felt kind of offended and um, disappointed at the end of the four hours for him to say that because what we want is victory, you know? Um, and yet, years now down the road, realizing the work that I will have to do in my own heart with these things for the rest of my life, it's worth it. It's not a season of work. It's not a moment that we're in. This is a life's work. And it's not just for this, but for everything in your life that is broken. It's your life's, it's Jesus's life's work and your life's work to find those places and to say, I'm going to do with Jesus something about these things because this is the gospel that you can't just realize you're racist and get excited about the fact that you're gonna not be racist anymore. Jesus actually went to the cross so that you and I could learn how to not be broken anymore. And he has to do the work with us, alongside us, for us, on behalf of us. This is what he came to do. This is the gospel to come into these broken places in us and to heal us and to ask us to do the work with him. The text that I read says, 
Jesus says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. And to that I say, thanks be to God. Because there are things in me that God has not planted. And I desperately need Jesus to rip them out of me, (laughs) to do the work in me. And I love, love farming imagery because it's a reminder that this work is long and that it's hard. But if you know farmers, if you know anything about farming, they're very patient and they really believe in the work that's being done. And that is how Jesus feels about this and about you and me. He really believes in this work that's being done in us. And he's really, really willing to like hands and knees crawl through with us and rip out every weed. So let's pray. Jesus, as we tend to do, to run away from thinking about you pulling things out or burning away chaff, all these kinds of ideas that we turn our faces from and want to pretend aren't there, God, I ask you that through this moment and this week and in our lives that you would, you would help our response to those things be thanks be to God. That there are things in me that ought to be burned away, that ought to be pulled out, that ought to be renovated. Help me to not be afraid of those things. Help all of us to have the bravery of Jesus to walk into dark places and say there's something to be done here. And to not have shame in that, Lord. That as your children, we can walk into dark places. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to go before us in all of this work that needs to be done. You are the one who turns on the light in these places who leads us and guides us. Thank you, Jesus, for your cross, the work you did on our behalf, and for being the first fruits of the resurrection so we can see what it is that we're headed towards, not just a renovated heart, but a life forever with you, celebrating the work that you did in us while we were here. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.